0: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
1: Well, I wonder how you may deal with those times in your life when you experienced something that we might call broken dreams, when your great expectations have crumbled, your prayers seem like they fall on deaf ears, where disappointment has seemed like your closest friend. Well, our special guest today has recorded his story involving his wife, Merrin, and their desperation to have children until they were faced with the heartbreaking conclusion that their dream of having a child could never be. Sheridan Voisey has wrestled with doubts about God's goodness and his journey with his wife, to recovering from their broken dreams. Sheridan Voisey is a writer, a speaker and broadcaster on faith and spirituality. He's written a number of books, one of those called Resilient, Your Invitation to a Jesus-Shaped Life. Another of his books is called Resurrection Year, Turning Broken Dreams into New Beginnings and Unseen Footprints, Encountering the Divine Along the Journey of Life. And uh, he's featured in numerous TV and radio programs, including Day of Discovery and 100 Huntley Street. He's a regular contributor to faith programs on BBC Radio 2 in the UK and speaks at conferences and events around the world. Sheridan's married to Merrin and resides in Oxford in the United States. He's in Australia for a quick visit. Sheridan Voicey, a special welcome to you to
2: 2020. And it's so good to see you again, Neil, because, you know, you and I go back a whole bunch of years. We do, back to... uh, well, the early 90s? The early 90s. In fact, you know, you, you, thank you for that lovely introduction, by the way. Uh, writer, speaker, and the broadcaster, friends listening. This guy that you're listening to right now uh, was severely influenced and influential on me on becoming a broadcaster because uh, we were both working. Well, you were working at a little station called Family Radio. I was a volunteer there. And, Neil, I remember walking into you one day, walking into your, uh, your office one day and saying, Neil, tell me everything about interviewing people. And I took notes in our conversation. And, you know, I reckon 20-odd years later, I reckon those notes would still be influential for all the, I think it was 2,000 interviews that I've done since then, uh, basically down to what you taught me on that day. So thank you, my friend, because you really influenced my own little broadcast journey. Uh,
1: Well, I'm very humbled to hear that. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that we hope happens in the encounters that we have Along our journey in our lives, mm. uh, that's something that God has given to us as a gift, and we endeavor to do our best to pass it on to others and From time to time, those seeds that are planted in hearts uh, come to fruition, and beautiful things happen as a result of that so uh, so i 'm very humbled uh, that you recognize that mm. and you know they were they were tough days, they were hard times mm. uh, those were days when in Christian radio there wasn't a full-time license right uh, so uh, you know building the audience was a challenge and and having enough finance to keep the whole thing afloat was a challenge yeah. and yeah. and uh, you as you say you were a volunteer and uh, you were yeah. a bible student at the time yeah. and uh, your focus was on well here's an opportunity I can I can do something in ministry here and and so uh, those connections all happened and uh, and god was able to uh, to do some good things with you beyond those years Give us a little, in a nutshell, mm. what Sheridan Voisey does today. I've given a little bit of detail in the introduction. Uh, you're on a quick visit to Australia. Your wife, Merrin, is back in the UK. Yep. Uh, give us a quick idea what Sheridan Voisey's life is like today.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, for the last 20 years, it's been writing, speaking, broadcasting, as you mentioned in the intro. The majority of that time has generally been on broadcasting with a little bit of time left over to write books and speak. Uh, then since moving to the UK in 2011, it's primarily writing books and speaking uh, with a little bit of time left over for doing broadcasting. So I miss radio, full-time radio uh, hosting a show called The Open House Programme, which was airing right here on Vision Radio. Uh but hosting that between 2006 and 2000, early 2011. Uh, that was the last show I hosted, and I miss hosting every day, Neil. I really, really do. But it's a new season for us, and so um, I'm primarily now writing writing books. And you mentioned, thank you, uh, Resurrection Year and Resilient, which are two of six books uh, that have particularly taken me you know, in various places all around the world now, um, particularly the Resurrection Year story, uh, sharing that in South Africa and the U.K. and U.S., Australia, numerous places in Europe as well helping people start again uh, from their own broken dreams. Um, so that's really where I'm at, um, sitting in my little office these days, you know, tapping out a new book, working on one at the moment. I've just had to ask the publishers for another year on the due date on it because it's ca- causing me to dig deep into what really I believe and what really I can say with any truth, and um, that's going to be an identity and calling that should be out in 20, 2018 or maybe even later, and uh, that's really my, my life now
1: and Sheridan not just writing a book for the sake of writing a book's sake uh, and you've received quite significant recognition 2006 your book unforeseen uh, unseen footprints was the 2006 australian christian book of the year uh, there's been a number of awards along the way so it's not just that you're writing a book and uh, putting out something there to hopefully you know uh, influence one or two uh, but you've been recognized significant is that? Because when you're recognised with an award like that, you're being recognised by publishing level peers and they're saying, this is quality material. How important is it to you to actually get that sort of recognition
2: because sure. your peers are saying,
1: hey, this uh-huh. is good
2: stuff. You know, I'm, I'm a perfectionist at heart and so I put everything into whatever I do and, and including writing a book and so it was lovely for Unseen Footprints to get that award back in 2006 and then after that it went and you know, it was released internationally by Lion Hudson Publishers and now it's just been released in its fourth edition actually uh, by uh, Discovery House and so it's, it is wonderful and then Resurrection Year was shortlisted and you know what didn't get an award but it was shortlisted for the Evangelical Publishers uh, Association uh, Book of the Year Award in the U.S. and that's a huge, huge award. I'm happy to be shortlisted because you know that out of the thousands, literally thousands of books that enter the market and Christian books that enter the market every year, to be shortlisted is great. You know, you you, you get one page in the the little glossy brochure. It just means that your your effort has been validated to some degree. And um, but you know, you can have award-winning books that. <sighs> maybe win awards on sales numbers or something like that. Ultimately, I really want the book to reach the heart and change the heart. That's my prayer every day when I write. That's what I want, and I i want that before any of the awards, really. The awards are lovely, but that's what I really want.
1: And your books are not just about facts and figures and trying to convince people of an argument. You've told your story, and your story is full of emotion, and your story is full of the heartache. Uh, that's come out and you've been able to articulate in the face of the challenges that you've faced along the way. If we're going to get into a conversation today uh, about broken dreams, perhaps uh, describe some of the biggest broken dreams that you yourself have experienced and and that people now having read your book come up to you and and they're sharing their broken dreams with you. Right. What do we talk about with broken dreams?
2: Yeah, it begins in the year 2000 for us and uh, Meryn walks into the kitchen and she says, "Honey, I think it's time." And I say, "Time for what?" And she says, "Time we started a family." And I said, "What? Right now? Fantastic, let's go." <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you know, it was time we'd been married by f- 5 years by then. We were in a good situation, went running around from city to city like we had been And from that time on, any couple who's made that decision knows that every month there is expectation, and it's very common for the next month for there to be disappointment, you know? Uh, And then maybe two or three months, expectation is followed by excitement. Well, for us, it was expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment. It was nine months before we went and got some tests done. Those tests revealed there was a problem on my side, and without either a a divine intervention, or a technological kind of breakthrough for us, our dreamt of child would be very difficult to have. And, Neil, that began 10 years of wandering in the wilderness, we call it. Um, we tried everything to rectify our situation. When we were in that kind of phase, you go through phases when you're a, an infertile couple. Sometimes you actually look at the upside of being childless, and you think of the extra time you've got, and you've got freedom to travel, and you know you can sit in a cafe on a Saturday morning, sipping latte after latte, reading page after page of the paper. Um, And then other times, of course, the pendulum swings the other way, and you just want to hold a little us. And when the pendulum was up that end, then we tried everything, special diets, uh, special supplements, um, chiropractic, which to this day, I don't know why we tried that, but you know, you try everything. We tried IVF, firstly in 2006, and then later on in the journey, uh, a whole series of rounds, we waited for two years after an eight month assessment, so nearly three years' investment in the New South Wales adoption process. Um, uh, waited for the phone call to say, Come and pick up your little son, daughter. The phone call never came. Uh, we tried healing prayer. We believe in a God who intervenes. And uh, one night, a group of people gathered in a lounge room to pray for us, to pray for me. And uh, something very significant happened that night. It's as if God walked into the room, I suddenly burst into tears. And I'm not a crier, Neil, so I'm not a crier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it felt like something had been freed, released, healed perhaps. And so there was more expectation. But with each one of these things, there was never any breakthrough. There was never any answer to prayer. We never got to the promised land. At the end of the journey, in December of 2010, 10 years after that initial conversation in the, in the kitchen, uh, we had received news that we never thought we would receive. And it was a, a lady named Emily from the IVF clinic who had rung Maren up, and she said, it's all looking good. And this is our final embryo that we had transferred. We decided after this, uh, we'd have had a series of embryos transferred with a kind of whole round of IVF rounds that we did. Let's just go at this until it works. We had one embryo left, and by this time we'd already decided this was it. No more adoption, no more IVF. If this doesn't work, we're moving on as a childless couple. And so to have that phone call was astounding. And all of our family and friends, they were breaking up and breaking into, you know, jubilation. They couldn't believe it. God had finally answered the prayer. And then on Christmas Eve, Emily rang again with the results of the last blood test, and she said to Maren, I am so, so sorry, because there had not been a baby. The IVF drugs had created a gestational sack, but there'd been no baby in the sack. And with that, she had uh, put down the phone, walked into the room we were staying, uh, curled up in a fetal position, and that's where our 10-year dream came to an end. And I remember we were actually in Brisbane uh, on that Christmas Eve seeing family. We were living in Sydney. We didn't want to hang around to celebrate Christmas that year. So late that night, we packed up our bags. We started driving back to Sydney. We stayed halfway between in Coffs Harbour. Remember, we found this finally found a, a, a room available in a motel. We uh, walked in and I dumped the bags on the floor. Merrin collapsed on the bed in tears. And I pulled out my journal and I wrote these words, God, this is cruel, living us in this wilderness. We've been walking around in circles for years, tired, empty, confused. One moment we've glimpsed the promised land, but the next moment you've barred us from entering it. And that was where the dream died. And that's where really that was the pivotal turning point of our life from that point on.
1: So, you know, the feeling of desperation And you learn those lessons of resilience because the persistence over a 10-year period, when you eventually get to a point and uh, you slump down and you say, it is never going to happen, uh, that is the point, I imagine, that you recognize that it is a broken dream. Because Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a broken dream until you get to a point where you say, We've exhausted every possibility. Right. Our it's an dream unfulfilled is dream. dream. It's an unfulfilled it? dream. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. So when you've got this sense of desperation in your heart and you come then to a realization that the conclusion is not going to be the way that you thought, there is not a promised land here, uh, the idea of then readjusting, uh, re Calibrating is, a, I know, a word that you like to use. Recalibrating and, and not being defeated by those circumstances, but moving forward. Where do you start to actually uh, make the change? Where does the change point start to happen? Because if you're at, as some listeners will be today, at a point where you're saying, well, I'm, I'm just struggling under broken dreams. And I want to know how to get out of this. I want to get out of the malaise. I want to come out of the fog. I want to be able to see some clear sky ahead, maybe with a new vision, a new dream. Where do you start to come out of that, Sheridan?
2: Well, I counsel people to not run too quickly, too quickly. (laughs) Um, I look back at that time, and from that point on, uh, we had already – I look back and I realize we'd done a bit of grieving already. And so when we made that decision, we were already a little bit further ahead in the grieving path. But the first thing we had to do was stop and grieve. So the last thing you want to do when you've been through a broken dream, you now realize, okay, this is not going to happen. Or at least I've decided that it's not going to be the central purpose of my life that I'm going to pursue. It's going to be put on the back burner at the very least. And maybe even I'm actually going to put the dream to bed. I'm actually going to kind of bury it. Um, You need to grieve. You need to have a period of time in which you just grieve what you have lost because you're not really in a state to kind of think about new dreams and pursue new visions and things like that. Uh, I look back at that time for the next few months, I see kind of four R's that we did without even realizing it. Number one, we had a rest. We just needed time off because we were exhausted from this. Uh, We then kind of did a little bit more recreation. We started to do those things that were life-building for us. Uh, recreation literally means recreate. So what it is? what is it that helps you recreate? You might be sport, it might be music, it might be a hobby or something like that. Um, there was a, a, a real need, a season needed for a renewal. Um, Merrin's relationship with God was shot, really, and she had to start a very long process of rebuilding it. She never stopped believing in God, but she did wonder whether God was good. She wondered why even God hadn't said no to us, you know. At one stage Neil, a no from God would have been a mercy, because then we could have stopped the, the the pursuit, grieved, and moved on. But we didn't even get a no. Now, six years after that, I'm now starting to see the reason why we didn't get a no. But it's I am mean, starting to get it. I'm mean, starting to get it. Um And then reinvention, after that comes the reinvention, after that comes the opportunity to start thinking about the future and the new dreams and the new vision. When we moved to the UK, and I'm jumping ahead, of course, very, very much ahead in our story, but Merrin had the opportunity of uh, getting a job at Oxford University, you know, which was an astounding, astounding opportunity, greatest university in the world, if not, um, you know. You know, yeah. depends on who you speak to, of course. Yes, but, of course. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I think we can both agree that it's the greatest university in the world, Neil. Um, when she had that opportunity, it was a wonderful opportunity for her to start again. Proverbs 13, 12, everybody knows the first bit. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. The second bit's equally important. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Marin had only really had one dream. That was to become a mum. And so this was the secondary dream for her to live and work overseas. That's all really she really wanted to do. And so we did that. And that then started a new broken dream for me because everything had been gone so well for me in Australia. The open house show had been a 10-year dream that came to fruition. I only got to host it for five years until I had to let it go so Merrin could kind of start again in the UK. So that began a whole new dream for me as well. So your, One of your
1: favorite sayings it comes from St. Augustine. Our whole business in this life is to heal the eyes of the heart so that God might be seen. Mm -hmm. When you say, you know, six years later, uh, we can see some benefit or some goodness that has come out of our 10-year struggle. When we talk about the eyes of the heart, uh, is this part of... You know, the the whole uh, recovery process of being able to see what God was doing all
2: along? Yes. You get to a point where you start to be able to join some dots and start to be able to go, oh, okay, I see what that led to. And I see how that connected with that and that connected with that. And writing the book was a part of that. Actually, writing Resurrection Year was a real part of that. Sitting down for two weeks, reading 10 years worth of journals to kind of re get the the highs and lows of that story. And Meryn would come home one day and find me in the highs, you know, oh, it's a real good, particularly good time in 2004. Uh, And then at other times the lows, particularly in that 2010 period. But doing that gave me a bigger picture of the whole story and I could start to see some dots connect and start to see where God maybe was starting to do it. Now, that was only the beginning. And I think, you know, healing the eyes of the heart, there is a time process for that. Healing to take place, so I think that's uh, that's really important. And then you start to see it. the the key thing with that um, with that verse is that you walk with God, even even if you're you know shaking your fist at heaven. You keep on walking with God Because even that shows that you still believe in him You're still with him Uh, You may not be very happy with him You may be questioning his motives and everything else And of course God's perfect And we know that in theory But when you're going through a wilderness experience like that You start to really question that And you know what, if you hide that You're hiding it from nobody, especially God So it's best to do what the uh, Hebrew prophets did Like Habakkuk and Jeremiah and just let it all out
0: Life, culture and current events From a biblical perspective 2020 On Vision. Sheridan Voisey,
1: our guest, award-winning author and broadcaster and has told his story in a number of fabulous books. We're talking today about restoration when your dreams are broken. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Sheridan, let's take a call. Juliana is in Eden's Landing. Hello, Juliana. Welcome along.
3: Oh, good morning. Good morning. Yes. um, What's your thoughts? Um... I'll just share some things that happened to me. Yes. Um, I um, always had a dream of being happily married and um, just wanted to be a mum and a wife, nothing else. I mm-hmm. didn't really have a career. I remember the the um, principal of the, of the school. I was in trouble and I was in the process of having a few, a um, bit of a, or, you know, they give you a few smacks in those days anyway. And she said, oh, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And I was too terrified to say anything. I said, I just want to be a mother. And um, I did have five children to my ex-husband, but the Lord does say no at times. I was trying to get reconciliation with my ex-husband, but he ended up remarrying and going elsewhere. And the Lord told me to let him go. So that was very difficult. And I actually wrote, wrote a song out of that particular part of my life. Mm-hmm. And then um, <clears throat> I had a guitar which my mum and dad bought for me years ago. That would be 40-odd years ago, and that fell over and the neck broke. So um, I was quite sentimental about that guitar anyway. Juliana,
1: so, you've got some wonderful things that are a part of your history, and not, a, not all of those are wonderful. Some of those are painful. Uh, your thoughts, Sheridan, on, on Juliana?
2: Well, I mean, you hear a dream fulfilled. I wanted to be a mum, and I was able to become a mum of five kids. I wanted to to be married, and that was a dream that was initially fulfilled. And then, of course, it was broken because uh, of the marriage breakdown. And so, I think this is this is the. I mean, Juliana's story is kind of symptomatic of all of our stories that we all have some fulfilled and some unfulfilled dreams. And then, you know, a guitar, precious guitar, you know, and we kind of listen to that and we can or, can or cannot resonate with that because maybe we're not musical or whatever. But actually that becomes something so precious for somebody. And then the, the neck broke of the guitar and it was so precious to me and maybe it was given to me by somebody special. I mean this is the thing. We all live with broken dreams. By the time we reach our 30s and 40s, we've all got a broken dream. It's part of our experience. We now have to deal with it. What do we do with that? I'm so glad that there are some fulfilled dreams to be built upon so that then the broken dreams can be then worked through. What I often say with people is, um, you know, a greater tragedy than a broken dream is to have your life forever defined by it. And this is the key, is that from this point on, um, you can be seen in light of the fact that I'm no longer married uh, or the marriage has broken down, I'm a divorcee, all of those kinds of things, all those identity statements that start. Or you can actually say, in the midst of this, the God that I follow who may have disappointed me because maybe I prayed for the restoration of the marriage, the God that I follow, his specialty is restoration. His specialty is is actually taking. It's another word for redemption, which we use a lot in Christian circles. Another word for redemption is recycling. He recycles the, 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 the muck of the world, the problems of the world, and turns them into a beauty that otherwise could not come. I'll tell you a story about... Uh, some words that Adrian Plas, the author, gave me in, in a few moments' time, which will kind of ha- help to clarify where I'm going with this. But when you go through a marriage breakdown, it affects you in your deepest soul. And yet out of that could come something incredibly powerful for the people that you sit next to in your life.
1: Juliana, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020, and uh, it's interesting. We'll take another call in just a few moments, but the idea of uh, you know, having a guitar and wanting to write a song mm. or writing your thoughts down, whether it's just something that maybe no one else will ever read, or in your case, you've written uh, some wonderful books that have had your sentiments and a ministry focus in there. Uh, there's something therapeutic in, in the way that we want to either write a song or sing a song or write a book or write a blog.
2: There really is. You know, there is a time to tell your story for your sake. And so I really encourage people that are going through a broken dream or maybe have kind of come out to it and then they're starting to do the healing process, write it down, a journal. I, I, you know, I've written a a blog post on my blog, sheridanvoisey.com, one of my most popular because when I ask people about journals, and whether they journal, they they typically say, oh, I tried it, but I couldn't keep it up. And I say, what do you mean you couldn't keep it up? And they say, well, I tried to do it every day. That's what you're supposed to do. And I say, no, you're not supposed to do it every day. You, it's it's your servant, not your master. A journal is a wonderful place to write down everything there, all the feelings, all the highs, all the lows, all the frustrations, all the disappointments, uh, all the angry responses to God, if you, if that's part of your journey. Uh, make sure that nobody else sees it so that you really can be honest and you don't edit your responses. That will help you work through your story, tell your story to your pastor, maybe a counselor, certainly to close and godly friends. That can help you work through the story. Once you've done that, then you find that you can one day tell the story for others' healing, and that's where Maren and I are at now, and it's been astounding. To then be able to share the story and find that, yes, well beyond our particular story of infertility, it's helping people whose marriages are broken down. It's helping people who have desperately wanted to have the book contract and it hasn't come or wanted people to download their songs off iTunes and it just hasn't happened or wanted a particular career or had it and they lost it. This is the interesting thing about the way God's wired us as storytellers. Um, When we tell our story And we tell it faithfully and with the ups and downs as well, not just simply the happy ending at at the end. You know, we're always trying to find a happy ending. Uh, It resonates much broader than the specific details of ours. And that's where God can do some great healing in people's lives.
1: Let's take a call from Simon. And Simon, are you in, is it called, Baratheo Valley in South Australia? Is that uh, or Barossa? Whereabouts are you, Simon? Uh, To Barossa Valley. It's in the Barossa Valley. Okay. Great. great, Wonderful to hear from you. And uh, what's your thoughts on what we're talking about today? Broken dreams.
4: Yeah, it definitely, I can relate to him in many ways, but, um, mine's not so much as a personal as far as a baby, but, you know, I had, uh, I come to the Lord and was born again, baptized, and I loved the word of God. And I started reading and studying and wanted to share with people. And, uh, so I thought, Lord, what do you want me to do? It's up to you and just put it out there for him. And long story come around, but uh, I believed he wanted me to buy a farm and uh, it just all fell into place. And I thought, oh, this is the Lord's will. I'm going to buy a farm and go overseas and do mission work. And I'd put the crop in and then come back, harvest, and then do of community and that. And so I started doing all that and uh, everything started failing. And, uh, one year after another, I've failed and failed and I've, um, I've added 10 years now and um, and even had sheep on it uh, last year and can't really go wrong with sheep at the moment and still lost money out of them and uh, seem to just keep going backwards and backwards and, you know, it's that constant struggle. Is this what you want me to do, Lord? What's going on? What What am I doing wrong? And Shaking your fist at the Lord and... I was there one day. I was that worn out and tired of working so many hours that I sat down in the tractor wheel and I tried to cry. And I was just so exhausted. And I said, "Lord, I just can't do it no more." And then He just worked miraculous. You know, He hasn't changed the financial situation around. Yeah, it's still south, but uh, He just worked so many miraculous ways along the journey. And as your friend there says, that uh, you know, when you look back through the thing, you can see. I can see the Lord was working there. I can see the Lord taught me something there. And and I'd hate anyone to go through what I've gone through, but I know people are going through it. And if we open up our hearts to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Um, We can learn so much. And basically 10 years on, um, I've come so much closer to the Lord and there's times that I would have walked away from him, but... I was a very uh, worldly man drinking and everything and
1: Simon that hard- is a wonderful testimony uh, some thoughts from Sheridan uh, on going through hard times uh, but seeing the hand of God even in the hard times but still feeling like yeah. oh wow this is harder work than I yeah. ever anticipated
2: oh boy uh, you know you resonate on a whole heap of different levels there you know you think you've got a direction you pursue the direction and it doesn't work out what's gone wrong there Whenever I've gone around and spoken at conferences, inevitably, there'll be somebody who comes up to me and will share a similar story. I was at one conference, Neil, where um, a woman got up and she spoke so eloquently. And then um, later on, after I'd spoken, she then shared all the stuff that had gone on in her life. And her and her husband had been missionaries overseas. Um, Their daughter had then started to self-harm. Then the second daughter had started to self-harm. And then one of them took their lives. And so, like, what is going on? And they found out that these daughters were being abused in the mission-run school. And they had this big question, God, we were missionaries for you. Why didn't you protect us? They'll never get an answer to that question this side of heaven. They They just really won't. But as I kept on listening to that woman, I heard a depth of spiritual authority from her life that was, you couldn't bottle it. You couldn't teach it at Bible college. There was just something in which she had walked through the wilderness with God, even though she didn't have the answers, and now she you know spoke and she ministered to people with such a with such a, a gentle spiritual power. And you know, I'm I'm just hearing that hearing that in Simon. He keeps on walking with God in the midst of this farm dream that just doesn't sort of seem to be working. And who knows, you know, what the um, the future is for the farm and, and what the decisions are there. Often I think we do this alone. We're way too individualistic with all of this. And so I think we um, need to get around people like Simon as a community and we need to help him to discern what is the next path on, the next decision to make. It's not just Simon's decision. He's to do it in in a conversation with other people, good godly people, so that we can discern what the voice of God really is and we can test it out and everything. But sitting in that tractor, praying those prayers, trying to cry not even be able to cry and yet God breaking in and doing something wonderful that's what happens if you read Deuteronomy 8 you have a, a nice little a summary of 40 years of the Israelites walking through the wilderness and one of the big things that comes out of that experience uh, because of course they were doubting God and you know they were running around for 40 years for all manner of reasons not of them all of them good Uh, But one of the big things that comes out is that they get to know God as Father for the very first time. The very, very first time we find God revealing himself as Father is in the book of Deuteronomy, and it comes in the midst of the wilderness while they're going through these horrible things. That's what I'm hearing in Simon, is we keep on walking. We can go into a deeper relationship with God and discover ourselves to be God's children.
0: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
1: I wonder if you've ever experienced broken dreams, some of the challenges that come from getting back on your feet. Having a new, clear way forward, getting over the grief and the loss that happens when those dreams are broken. Our special guest today has been there and has experienced those things and has had the capacity to be able to articulate his thoughts and his feelings and his reflections on what God is doing in the midst of those challenges and struggles. Sheridan Voisey, award-winning author and broadcaster, is our guest. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call, Sheridan from Rodney in Melbourne. Hello, Rodney. Welcome along.
5: Yeah, look, i was just like to comment on a few things about uh, broken dreams and stuff like that that happened in the past to me. Um, oh, this is going back when my daughter was a newborn. Um, yeah, About three years ago, I was told that my daughter wasn't going to live uh, due to what my aunt did uh, with drugs and alcohol and whatnot. Now, for, for me, it, it really hurt and you know, I, I didn't think she was going to live. And because I come to, my mum was a, a full Christian and my mum's parents was a full Christian. And I'd come I went home one time from uh, an ultrasound and my mother would seen me really upset and she asked me, you know, what had happened. And I, I, I told her and I said, I don't think my daughter's going to live. I've been told that, you know, my daughter's not going to make birth. And mum goes, you know, the best thing you can do now. And I said, no, what's that? And my mum goes, pray. And at the time, I didn't think it would work. So, you know, I prayed and Mum said, you yeah, know, if you like, I can pray with you. And I said, yeah, that would be great. And so Mum started pray, praying with me and stuff like that. And we kept going to ultrasounds as, we, as um, I, you know, you normally would. And, you know, it, it was a miracle. And just in the last uh, few ultrasounds, when she was born, well, she had, str- um, my, my daughter, she had struggles when she was born. And the next couple of weeks would be a touch and go. Um, but with a lot of prayer and stuff like that, um, you know, she pulled through, um, it got, God a touched her and, you know, uh, fought, fought for survival for her. And, you know, uh, then I asked God, you know, if she should be in my care, you know, uh, please answer. And just a couple of weeks later, being through court and with her history and, and et cetera, Um I was awarded my daughter in my care, so God had blessed me with with my
1: daughter. Rodney, you Uh, have an amazing story, and everybody's story is so complex, and there are good signs. Uh, You... Get something of a breakthrough, and then you have more ongoing struggles. Share it in your thoughts
2: for Rodney. Oh well, I mean, it's, at the moment it's not a broken dream, isn't it? It's a, it's a fulfilled dream. So uh, the, the little girl's come through. So good, Rodney. Thank you for your, sharing your story. And also, it looks like then you're, you know, you have custody or good access to your daughter, which is just wonderful, fantastic.
1: Rodney, thanks so much for your thoughts today on 2020. Let's hear from Ian in, I think it's Kilcoy in Queensland. Hello, Ian. Welcome along. Hello, how are you? Very well. Ian, what are your thoughts on our conversation today?
5: Well, I mean, um, I've been through a divorce, very acrimonious divorce early on. I was on my own for six years and prayed a very specific prayer to God for a new wife, which he did deliver. And my wife has just passed away in the last three months. Mm. And some people would say, well, where is God in that? But God has actually prepared me and um, strengthened me to enable me to accept the decision that was made and that she was taken at the time, and um, no matter what happens in our life, I think God has that preparation time and that that um, time where we need to be led through that place to be made a stronger person
1: in Him.
2: Ian, let's hear some thoughts yeah, from Sheridan. I think you're right, Ian. I really think it's true that there is a strength that comes when we walk through these things uh, with God in the midst of it. Um, Neil has very nicely uh, mentioned my book, Resilient. That came out when I'm sitting in Oxford in 2011 and 2012 and the phone isn't ringing and nobody's asking me to host their radio shows and nobody's asking me to speak at their conferences and I'm being turned down by publishers because we've moved over there uh, for Merrin's job and my life is suddenly up in the air. Um, And what I did is I started reading the Sermon on the Mount every day for a month as a little spiritual exercise, every day for a month, in whole or in part. It only takes you 15 minutes, only three chapters of the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, 7. And the interesting thing is, at the end of that famous speech that has inspired so many people, the Gandhis and the Bonhoeffers of the world, the Martin Luther King Juniors of the world, Jesus ends the whole sermon with that famous little story of the two builders, one who builds his house on the proper foundation, digs down beneath the sand, builds his house up on the foundation from there. The other person who can't really be bothered, he just builds his house on the sand. The storms hit both people, and I think that's key in the story, not just the ungodly people, it's the godly people. Both people get the uh, storms, but it's the guy who has his house built on the stand that uh, has his house uh, stand and, and withstand the storms, and Jesus says, Well, that's what you'll be if you put my teaching, everything that I've put in these three chapters, into practice. And so I think that's what Ian has done. He's walked with God in the midst of that, and he's come out strong.
1: Ian from Kilcoy in Queensland, thanks so much for sharing your story here today on 2020. We do have Heather from Kempsey back with us. Hello, Heather. Welcome back.
6: You're, you're right. Thank you.
1: What are your thoughts, Heather?
6: Oh, yes. Good morning. Oh, um, uh, look. Broken dreams. Um, Look, in my life, I always say you're never the only one and there's always someone worse off and, you know, it's so true. Um, Relating to Sheridan's story, um, I am single. I'm in my 50s. I don't have a family. I don't have a close family. And when I focus on those things, I realize I'm not living a Christian life. Um, Christian life, obviously, as we know, is spiritual. So, if I keep my eyes on the Lord and his word and his promises and, and the hope of eternal life, it all just dissipates. Um, and I realize, uh, I'm also a nurse, so I obviously, often look after people dying and, and I wonder where they're going to go to. And at the end of the day, that's really all that matters, is where are you going?
1: Mm-hmm. Heather, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. some thoughts from you, Sheridan, mm-hmm. on, on Heather.
2: Yeah. Is it really mature... Uh... You know, response that Heather has given us there, um, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, you know, we'll find their rightful place. You know, they'll be given to you. They'll, you'll, they'll find their rightful place. The first and foremost thing for people who follow Jesus is we seek his kingdom. And that's what Heather has learned. Um, my ex- experience would also say that those dreams are still important and they need to be acknowledged and they need to be worked through. Um, because they do tend to resurface at a later time if they haven't kind of been worked through well. It sounds like Heather is uh, Heather is actually doing that. But, yeah, we keep our focus in the right place. Um, I think we often pray one of two prayers when it comes to our dreams. One is, uh, Lord, fix it, you know, bring it, make it possible, make it happen. The other one is, God, take away my desire for it. There's a third prayer that we can pray, which is, God, can you recycle it? Can you turn this? into some sort of service to others? Can you make something of it? And I think that's a healthy way of dealing with our broken dreams so that they're not kind of ignored, not kind of pushed down. Um, a dream to be married is a very healthy, good, godly dream. A dream to have a family is a very good, godly dream. Um, but they are dealt with. They are brought to the altar, if you like. They are brought and handed over to God so that they can be used as as he wishes. So thanks, Heather. That's a great story to share
1: Heather from Kempsey, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today here on 2020. And uh, we're just a few minutes out from the news. Uh, I know that one of the special people that you've had in contact is uh, a well-known author himself, Adrian Plass. Wrote a lot of funny things that I remember reading uh, in my younger years. Uh, But he, in amongst all of the funny things, shares some very deep insights. Uh, What are your thoughts on your
2: Your uh, advice from Adrian Place. Yeah. So we get to the UK in 2011, and Adrian and Bridget, I've gotten to know them over several years by this stage, and they invite us to come up and spend a weekend with them. And so we drive up to North Yorkshire and, you know, rolling hills and dry stone walls, English prettiness. It's all very lovely. We spend this weekend with them, and we go through our whole story sharing everything the initial conversation in our kitchen in the year 2000 and the ivf attempt in 2006 and the adoption attempt in 2008 and the phone call on christmas eve of 2010 all that kind of stuff and we're walking out in a park one afternoon and bridget and Marin walk ahead of us and adrian then kind of says like what you've been in the uk a few months now how are you doing And I said, well, we're we're doing okay, I guess. Maren's going to find a new job, and that's really good. And things are a bit up in the air for me. I'm not too sure where I'm going, but I guess we'll just trust God with that. I guess we're trying to look at the upside of being childless, you know. We've got freedom to travel. We've got opportunity to sit in a cafe on a Saturday morning, drinking latte after latte, that kind of stuff. And Adrian says, actually, that'll only take you so far. He says, Sheridan, you think about the cross. Jesus is hanging in there. It's a dark, barbaric event. There is no upside. He's not trying to put a positive spin on it. Instead, he's doing something completely different. Have you ever stopped to think of how many people Jesus ministered to while he hung on the cross? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you remember the time when Mary, his mother, is standing in front of him and his his friend John is standing there. And he says, mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. On the cross, Jesus is making provision for his mother into her old age. What about the thief that was crucified next to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. What about the people who crucified him? What does he say to them? Father, don't. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Um, What about the centurion who said, surely this was the son of God? There was some sort of ministry happening there. And us, he was forgiving our sins while he was uh, having that sacrifice. Sheridan, this is what Jesus does. In the midst of the crucifixion, he serves others. And if you let him, out of your suffering will come opportunities to serve others in ways you otherwise never could. And that's exactly what our last three or four years have been, exactly to the point our suffering being turned, recycled into service to others so that they can start again? Well, what deep and profound advice uh,
1: that we can all partake of today because we, if we're not going through a crisis right now, if we're not going through grief and loss and broken dreams, Uh, those things are likely to be ahead of us. Uh, To be prepared to be able to face those is just so uh, valuable and important. I want to mention Sheridan's books and give you a website where you might be able to get a hold of them. One of them is called Resilient, Your Invitation to a Jesus-Shaped Life. Another one, Resurrection Year, Turning Broken Dreams into New Beginnings, and Unforeseen Unseen Footprints, Encountering the Divine Along the Journey of Life. And there, of course, there is three volumes of the open house Sheridan Voisey in Conversation Books too. Uh, the website to go to is Sheridan V-O-Y-S-E-Y dot com. And you can access Sheridan's blog. Sheridan, uh, wonderful having you in the studio. Great time to catch up. Thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020.
0: My pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.